0: Healthcare is rapidly changing. Innovative technologies and new treatment paradigms are changing the way we tackle the world's pervasive health issues. I'm Alex Godan with Oxner Health in New Orleans, Louisiana. Join me as we go inside Louisiana's largest healthcare system where we discuss new ideas in confronting these healthcare challenges. We talk to thought leaders and healthcare experts to explore the latest innovations in patient care. Welcome to Innovation Health. As the COVID-19 vaccine rollout continues, many women are concerned about the effects the vaccine may have on their health. What effect does the vaccine have on fertility or pregnancy? And beyond that, nursing and their baby's health. On this episode of Innovation Health, I discuss these issues with Dr. Veronica Gillespie, a senior OBGYN at Oxner Health. Dr. Gillespie, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Innovation Health Podcast. I'm excited to talk to you about all things COVID-19, women's health, but I wanna get started and just have you tell our listeners what it is you do at Oxner and kind of what your day-to-day looks like.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I'm a general OBGYN here at Ashner. I've been here since 2004 because I did my residency and in practice since 2008. Um, I serve as the senior site lead and section head um, for women's services at Ashner Kenner. And I'm also the director of quality for women's services for the, the whole health system.
0: Great. So the COVID-19 pandemic has been going on for about a year now. What has that looked like for our pregnant women, for these expecting mothers? Are they more at risk? Have they been having harder impacts?
1: Wow. So that's a a great question. So um, according to the CDC, um, the information that they've received of all women, pregnant women uh, that have contracted COVID um, over this time period, there does seem to be an increased risk for more severe disease in Mm -hmm. pregnant women. Um, There's an increased risk of hospitalization, uh, which makes a lot of sense. We know that in pregnancy um, for a pregnant woman, her immune system is suppressed. And so the ability to fight off viruses is a little bit diminished. Um, We see this same type of reaction to the flu um, when pregnant women, uh, uh, when they end up getting the mm-hmm. flu, they're greater at greater risk for hospitalization, intubation um, as well. And so what does that mean for the baby if a mother were to catch COVID-19? Yeah, so from what we can tell so far, there is no transplacental uh, 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 Given the virus, I should say, given the virus across the placenta mm-hmm. to the baby, that doesn't seem to be um, one of the ways that is transmitted. We do know there's an increased risk of preterm birth. Um, now we don't have enough data to know if there's an increased risk of preterm birth because women are with COVID are going into labor early, or if there is a need to deliver the mother early because of respiratory distress.
0: Okay. So what kind of changes have we seen in terms of caring for the mother or even when it comes to labor and delivery? What shifts are we seeing there?
1: Yeah, so it's been, uh, I would say, a little bit difficult for our mothers, although they understand the need of why we're having to make some of the changes, especially around visitation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, typically for most of our facilities, we allow two individuals to be with the the birthing person, with the mother uh, during the labor process, during delivery. Uh, And we've had to limit that, especially when the pandemic first started. We had had to limit that to one individual that had to stay with the mom throughout. The entire uh, stay, um, not allowing those other family members to come in, and so I think that was very difficult on families. Um, but they, again, when we explain that and, and explain that prenatally, so that they have the expectation, I think our, our, our families have understood why we needed to do that and have adjusted. But it's been it's been difficult. It's been right. difficult on all of us. I know
0: it's kind of the norm now to see people. Face timing from the ultrasound appointments or even from the hospital rooms, but at the end of the day, I know everyone's really committed to the safety aspect involved.
1: Yes, and I mean it's great that we have the technology that we have that does allow for FaceTime and for families to feel like they're there with that with that mom even when they're not able to physically be there. So getting into kind of the
0: hot topic here, and and we'll talk a lot about this, but the COVID nineteen vaccine, just starting off, would you say the higher risk that pregnant women face from catching COVID-19 is a good reason for them to consider more heavily getting the vaccine.
1: Absolutely. So everything that we do, especially in pregnancy around recommendations, is about considering the risks and the benefits. And if we look at the risk of contracting COVID and we know what happens to our pregnant women when they contract COVID, as we've already talked about, Mm -hmm. uh, them being at increased risk, having an increased risk of hospitalization, having an increased risk of preterm birth, the benefit of having the vaccine really does outweigh the risk. So the, the big thing we're
0: seeing on social media and I think everyone's kind of been seeing this this myth or kind of claim flying around is oh the vaccine causes infertility or sterility. And I want to start out by saying you know like that is a completely valid concern for people, you know, to to read that and say, "Oh, could this make me infertile?" you know. I think anyone could read that and just get a little caught off guard and get nervous. Um, what would you say about this this myth and is that true?
1: So the myth is not true. Um, I did a little digging because I wanted to know where the myth came from. Right. Where did it start? <laughs> so there was a German physician and a German physician and researcher who had this theory. Okay. So the way that the COVID-19 vaccine works is there's a spike protein that causes your immune system to react so that when you see the COVID-19 uh, actual virus, you won't get as sick he proposed that there is a placental spike protein that is similar to what's on the vaccine. After they actually did the whole genomic makeup of the two spike proteins, they are absolutely different. Um, So the theory has not been proven. And in fact, in the clinical trials, in, in one of the, the the clinical trials, 26 women did conceive during the the actual trial. Um, there were, I believe, 12 in uh, in one group in the actual vaccine group, and, and the others were in the placebo group. Um, but but women were conceiving mm-hmm. even in the clinical trials. So um, I do understand the concern um, ab- about fertility, and that is definitely understandable and legitimate. But I think if we understand where that myth came from, and then understand that we don't have anything to support it. Um, I hope that that helps uh, individuals to feel more comfortable.
0: Absolutely. And is there a recommendation at this point about when mother should
1: receive the vaccine? At what point in her pregnancy? So that's a a great question. Um, There really hasn't been a recommendation in terms of trimester. And I think a lot of that uh, recommendation has come from what we have seen with the flu vaccine. Um, At one time, many years ago, it was recommended to only get the flu vaccine in the third trimester. Um, After research and data, we know it's appropriate to get the flu vaccine in any trimester. And so looking at that data, it seems to be the same um, for the COVID-19 As well,
0: and so you mentioned the flu vaccine. I know that's one of the. Are, there are quite a few vaccines that pregnant women do get throughout the pregnancy, correct? Yes. Um, and I would, I would assume that there is a greater acceptance of the flu vaccine as being safe during pregnancy. What do you think that disconnect is there? It, there is between people being afraid of the COVID nineteen vaccine and more concerned about that versus not being as afraid of the flu vaccine.
1: I can say from my clinical practice and in talking to my patients, they're concerned, and this is pregnant and non-pregnant, mm-hmm. they're concerned because they feel like there's no long-term data on right. the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and so it really, in their minds, I don't think that they equate the flu vaccine and the COVID-19 vaccine in the same way that I have in, in mm-hmm. this podcast. I think most of their fear is just that the COVID-19 vaccine has not been out in a, and around and in uh, public use for a, a lengthy period of time time
0: and have there been any significant cases in medical history where that has happened you know a a vaccine or a medication years later was shown to be an issue for pregnant women or babies?
1: You know, um, I, I can't say off the top of my head. Um, I will say that we do know in terms of vaccine that live vaccines are contraindicated in pregnancy. Now, I don't know if that's because they at one time were given live vaccines and then realized that there were complications, but we do know that live vaccines are contraindicated. Um, a live vaccine is one in which they take the virus and they, they take out the virulent part of the virus and make a vaccine out of it and then... And, and then give it to individuals. And so
0: what, what would be some examples of a live vaccine?
1: Um, So the MMR vaccine, okay. so the measles, mumps, and rubella. So even though that's just something that we screen for at the beginning of pregnancy to see if someone is rubella immune or not, we don't give the vaccine to make them immune during pregnancy because it is a live vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at flu, which is again not live, and then looking at COVID-19, which has no components Completely of the Completely new technology there. Completely new technology, the <laughs> mRNA, which let me also say, because I think there are some concerns because it is new technology. Mm-hmm. It is, this is the first vaccine that we've had with this technology, but the technology itself is not new. Right. Um, the researchers were looking at this technology before the COVID 19 vaccine, before the COVID 19, which pandemic. is one of the reasons it was able to be produced <laughs> so quickly, so quickly correct? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um,
0: So if a pregnant mother were to get the vaccine, she, you know, develops that immunity towards COVID-19, does the baby
1: also develop that immunity or what impact does that have? Are they more safe once, you know? So I think at this point, we really don't know. Um, Again, if we look at the flu vaccine, which I'm not equating COVID-19 to the flu vaccine. But it is good to have that point of reference just, you know, in our
0: minds, especially for someone like me, I'm not a physician, I'm not medical so for me that's a good comparison to have
1: good well good good and so we know that with the flu vaccine and this is one of the reasons one of the many reasons that we encourage our pregnant women to get the, the flu vaccine also the vaccine for whooping cough when the mom makes antibodies those antibodies do cross the placenta mm-hmm. and it does provide some immunity to her unborn fetus um, we don't know if that's true for the COVID-19 vaccine but we have seen that with the, many of the other vaccines that we recommend during the pregnancy
0: And that kind of leads us into clinical trials here and vaccine trials, and I have a question about kind of the long-term studies in a second, but I just want to start out and say, have pregnant women been included
1: in the clinical trials to date? So unfortunately, they've not. And so I think this is the crux of the matter of why there's a lot of concern and confusion from our pregnant moms. Um, so in the clinical trials, pregnancy was an exclusion. Um, but I will say that Pfizer is about to start a trial that is specifically for pregnant women, uh, where they will be enrolling pregnant women in the third trimester from 24 weeks to 32 weeks to administer the vaccine, um, to then follow those those individuals to, to, to see outcomes. So that we have the actual clinical data to Mm -hmm. support what we're seeing in practice.
0: Do you think some of the reasons that it's been a little slower has been a hesitancy
1: of pregnant women to participate in these trials? Um, You know, I I don't think it's necessarily that. Um, That may be a concern now that there is a trial specifically for pregnant women. Mm. Um, I think that in a lot of trials, if you think about what is considered the quote-unquote vulnerable population, and this is from a research standpoint, um, children and pregnant women are considered, quote-unquote, the vulnerable population. And so clinical trials, will uh, initially start with adults, um, and eventually they will get to those quote-unquote vulnerable populations. And so I think it was just the study protocol itself not allowing pregnant women um, into the study as to why we've not seen pregnant women enrolled in these these vaccine trials.
0: And then on the fertility side, I know you already discussed that there is data showing that that is, is not a real concern, but um, will there be clinical trials specifically focusing on that? I know you talked about women who did conceive Mm -hmm. while they, after they had gotten the vaccine. Is there something dedicated specifically to following, you know, women of a childbearing age who did receive the vaccine?
1: You know, I don't know of any particular trials per se. My guess would be that they, uh, the FDA, as they move from this emergency use authorization to the typical authorization that is done for medications, that they will follow individuals um, that have received the vaccine vaccine and see what fertility rates are and to see if it's consistent with the general population. Um, My guess is that's how they will look at, uh, we call it fecundity or or, or fertility, um, instead of doing an actual clinical trial.
0: I kind of want to walk through some of the options women have here. So the first being, of course, receive the vaccine, which um, I, I would assume most OBGYNs are recommending at this point. The second being electing not to receive the vaccine perhaps until after they give birth. Mm -hmm. In that case, what would you recommend they do to protect themselves during that time?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, and just to piggyback on what you've said, uh, most OBGYNs, as directed by our professional society, so the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, as well as the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, are recommending that the vaccine not be withheld from pregnant individuals um, and that we have an individual discussion as an OBGYN mm-hmm. with our patients about the risks of contracting COVID 19 during pregnancy. And again, helping them to do that risk benefit analysis to determine if the vaccine is right for them. Right. Um, for those that choose to not receive the vaccine, and even for those that do, mm-hmm. we do recommend that they maintain all of the, the standard precautions that have been recommended. Well, not all of them were recommended in the beginning, <laughs> but eventually have become recommended. Making sure that we're doing um, social distancing, so six feet apart, making sure that we're wearing masks, um, that we're uh, washing our hands for 20 seconds, um, and making sure that we are not traveling if possible, and not uh, gathering in in large groups, especially in closed spaces.
0: What about breastfeeding and the COVID-19 vaccine?
1: Yeah, and so again, um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, as well as the CDC, um, recommends that the vaccine not be withheld from breastfeeding women, again, because of the way clinical trials are done. Um, There were, to my knowledge, there were no breastfeeding women in the clinical trials, or that may have been a question that wasn't even asked. Um, So we don't have the clinical trial data to show that it's safe, Um, but um, it does appear to be safe. Um, i to mention this uh, before, but about 20,000 pregnant women have already received the vaccine um, without any severe adverse side effects. They've experienced the same side effects that the general population has. Um, And so I think that that holds true for breastfeeding uh, uh, persons as well.
0: And would you say that's been kind of a major concern you've seen within your own clinic from your patients?
1: I haven't seen the concern as much about breastfeeding as I have for the pregnant individuals. They're just really concerned about what's going to happen to that 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 fetus that they're carrying
0: and and just in your personal school of thought kind of again like the risk of catching COVID-19 as a pregnant woman could be potentially devastating or even fatal so the vaccine would kind of be that solution for pregnant women to stay safe for themselves and for the baby you got it (laughs) (laughs) I want to kind of shift back um Just a more general COVID-19 question, Mm -hmm. Um, what advice do you have for women who have become new mothers during the pandemic and kind of on that same tone? Have you seen higher rates of
1: postpartum depression? So that's a a great question. Um, I I can't say that we've seen higher rates of postpartum depression, at least in my clinical practice, I have not. Um, in general, though, I will say societal wise in the general public, we have seen an increase in depression. Um, and so if following suit with that, we probably will see an increase in postpartum depression, um. We quite honestly don't do as great of a job screening for postpartum depression as we should uh, as a society. Um, And so that may be the reason that we're not seeing such an increased risk. Um, For my pregnant patients, um, I try to do check-ins to make sure we're doing a screen at two weeks, doing a screen at six weeks, um, having those discussions with them about what support do they have. Um, We know that the lack of support is one of the risk factors for postpartum depression, and we know support looks really different in the pandemic Mm -hmm. Um, so definitely some some risk factors are increased and so just trying to make sure that I'm doing those check-ins with my patients um, making them understand the signs and symptoms of postpartum depression letting them know it's okay if it happens. Right. Um, and, you know, we've really partnered with our pedi- pediatricians. The state is doing some things with pediatricians so that we can even improve our screening when the baby, the moms are bringing the babies in for those newborn visits.
0: And just anecdotally from, you know, friends and family of mine, a lot of women I've heard say, you know, I didn't realize I was experiencing postpartum depression while I was in it. But afterwards, you know, I look back and I'm like, wow, that, that's what was going on. And so, you know, that on top of the fact that everyone's stuck inside, they can't see their family as much, I, I have to imagine that doing those screenings has been completely vital during COVID-19.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and you're right. We should be doing the screenings for each patient every time, um, but especially now when we do expect, even though we haven't necessarily seen it in our numbers, but we do expect that our postpartum depression rates will increase.
0: And I just kind of want to wrap up and ask, is there any other interesting research you've seen or read about being done on women's health and COVID-19 or honestly just women's health in general?
1: Um, so, no other interesting uh, research that I can think about other than, you know, that I mentioned that mm-hmm. Pfizer is going to have that trial um, that is specifically for pregnant women. I do think that this, the pandemic, as well as the vaccine trials, has challenged us to think about um, our rules that we have around research and the fact that we don't enroll pregnant women um, in research and clinical trials when they're starting. Well, that I understand why those protections were there in the beginning but you know, especially now in a pandemic, when pregnant women are part of the population uh, that needs to receive this vaccine, it makes it very difficult for the pregnant women to trust the vaccine because they weren't in the clinical trial. catch 22. Exactly, and then it makes it harder for us as the providers and our national society to make recommendations because we don't have the data uh, always that we would like to have to support um, the vaccination. And so I really think it's made us think about research in a different way um, and making sure that we do include pregnant women in our vaccine trials.
0: And kind of a parting on a parting note is that if you could say anything to to our women listening about their fears about the COVID nineteen vaccine, what they should do, what could what would you say to them?
1: So I would say the same thing that I say to my patients in my office. I had to go through my own moment of deciding if I was going to get this vaccine. I think we are, Yeah. <laughs> and I will be honest, I am the principal investigator for a clinical trial for an oral medication for treating fibroids. And I've been the clinic been doing this study or been a part of this study. I was award or was a part of the study for about five years before it got FDA approved. And so I became very hesitant to get the vaccine because of the length of time that it took to do the trial. And so my own personal journey was then starting to think about okay let let me let me not just use my single experience let me look at the data and so I realized that what we usually do in clinical trials of doing this phase and then we wait and then Mm -hmm. we do this phase and then we wait lots of waiting lots of waiting (laughs) well for the clinical trial that there was not as much waiting there was over those phases all the phases were still done but they were overlapped and so that's why things were done in a much faster fashion so once I realized that I was like okay so Actually, they did do all the steps that they're Mm -hmm. supposed to do. They didn't skip anything. And so that made me feel more comfortable. And then just thinking about my risk as a frontline worker, I potentially am exposed on a daily basis. And so when I think about the risk of getting COVID-19, some of the long-term side effects that we're seeing, some of the short-term side effects that we're seeing, it made sense to me to get the vaccine. And so this is a conversation that I have with my patients. And uh, again, everybody has to make their own individual decision, but really, really, really think about the true risks and the true benefits. And I think um, everybody will be led to the right decision.
0: That's awesome. Well, Thank you so much, Dr. Gillespie. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. I know for me, this has been so eye-opening and educational personally, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there would agree. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you are a woman who is wanting to become or is pregnant, or is currently nursing and have had fears regarding the safety of the new coronavirus vaccines. We hope this discussion with Dr. Veronica Gillespie has helped shed light on the safety of the vaccines and hopefully eased your fears in receiving it. For the latest information about when, how, and where to get the vaccine, go to oxner.org vaccine. Thanks again for joining me today on this episode. I'm Alex Godin and I'll see you next time on Innovation Health.